0: From the studios of Farm Journal Broadcast. This is Ag Day.
1: Keeping things buzzing. I'm
2: Charles Denny, beekeeping at a young age. A teen 4 H'er is recognized for her skill here. You'll meet the young lady from Carroll County, Tennessee next on
1: Ag Day. An Iowa farm turned into a scene of chaos with a standoff. And a father and son dead. As producers race against the weather to bring in the last of the harvest, they're continuing to find some surprises in the field. It just blows my mind. What farmers are finding for yields in Minnesota, right now on Ag Day.
3: Ag Day, presented by Pioneer. What's next happens when experience meets expertise. Pioneer, what's next happens here.
1: Good morning, I'm Clinton Griffiths. Farmers are racing to finish harvest as rain and even snow moves in. USDA reporting its latest crop progress report that farmers were able to make significant progress last week despite dodging raindrops. Now it says 71% of the corn crop has been harvested, That's along with 85% of the soybeans. The corn harvest is running 5% ahead of average, while the soybeans are 7% ahead of normal. As you can see, there were states this past week where producers brought in at least 15% of their total expected corn harvest.
2: Colorado ahead of some snow that fell over the weekend. Big jump from 45 to 68% harvested. Iowa also got clipped by some snow in the northwest. A big jump from 62 to 77% harvested.
3: The I-80 Harvest Tour on Ag Day is brought to you by Case IH. The Farmall has been the iconic partner on the farm for generations. Come celebrate a century of Farmall, the one for all, at farmall100.com. And by AGI. At AGI, we spend a lot of time focused on our product details, making sure you can store your grain how you need to and move it when you need to. Learn more at aggrowth.com.
1: The harvest has been rapid in Minnesota this fall as well. So far, farmers have harvested three-quarters of the corn crop, which is 10 points ahead of average. They're also wrapping up beans at 94% harvested, four points faster than normal. On this week's IED Harvest Stop, Ag Day's Michelle Rook found with the extreme dryness this season, farmers are seeing mixed results.
4: DROUGHT WAS WIDESPREAD IN MINNESOTA THIS SEASON WHICH DID CAUSE SOME VARIABILITY BUT OVERALL FARMERS ARE SAYING SOYBEANS HAVE BEEN DISAPPOINTING BUT HARVEST RESULTS ON CORN HAVE BEEN BETTER THAN EXPECTED. NEARLY THE ENTIRE STATE WAS HIT BY D1 TO D4 LEVEL DROUGHT THIS SEASON BUT IT WAS THE THIRD YEAR FOR BOB WORTH ON HIS FARM IN WESTERN MINNESOTA.
5: SOME locations GOT SOME RAIN. And so they're not as far, but most of our ground is seven to nine inches below normal.
4: Plus, the heat was a double whammy. And Worth says the yield monitor showed a 20 to 30 bushel drop on corn yields from the outer rows to the middle of the field.
5: We have a lot of tip back in the center of the field. Nothing on the outside, but in the center, we do have tip back.
4: Despite that, Worth says the corn is standing well. Disease pressure was low, and results have been surprising.
5: Our corn yields are uh, so far (laughs) running from 160 to 190. I mean, it just depends on the type of soil you have and etc. And our APHs are 199. So, I mean, we're not that far off of, of normal. If you, when we get all done and average them all, I think we're going to be very, very happy with our corn eels. It's just, it just blows my mind.
4: Worth farmed during some of the past drought years, and in comparison, he's not sure where the production is coming from.
5: I lived through the 1976 drought, the 88 drought, the 2012 drought, and my goodness, this, this stuff is just blowing the socks off all of them, and we actually had more rain back in 88 than we did now, and it's still, <laughs> this crop is just phenomenal, and it's dry. We're taking it out of the field from 13.5 to 15 percent, so we don't have any expense
4: drying it. Unfortunately, soybeans didn't fare quite as well as the corn not just because of the drought, but also the heat. Beans a lot. The heat took a lot
5: off them because it just shut the plant down. It it made them mature quickly and it, it just never got to fill the pods out.
4: So soybean yields were cut severely and ended well below his farm average.
5: Our range is from 25 to 40 and our APHs are 54. So they're down considerably from what we normally get uh corn uh, the soybeans were dry i mean they they started out a little wet and two days of sun and high temperatures and wind uh, they went to nine percent real quick
4: and with the dry beans they also had field loss
5: and field loss i mean we lost bushels by shrink and we also lost bushels by field
4: chatter statewide crops are projected to be down in minnesota compared to a year ago USDA is estimating corn yield at 179 bushels per acre, 16 bushels below last year. Statewide soybean yield is projected at 48 bushels, down two bushels. In Minnesota, I'm Michelle Rook reporting for Ag Day.
6: Yeah, we had a very cold Halloween in there. The thing is, is we are going to see those temperatures luckily warm up across most of the area. We will be luckily seeing a lot of those temperatures getting chilly. Yes, yeah, we get into our overnight, but as you're getting into tomorrow afternoon, look at those temperatures they are starting to come back little by little. we will also be watching for a decent amount of rain across some parts of the West Coast. Look at how much rain they're gonna be seeing. That's about three, four, five inches across some parts of Seattle, stretching down to Portland. We're we'll going to be seeing plenty of that for sure as they head into the next seven days. There was also a little bit of a swath that could be seeing some wintering mix a little here across parts of the Rust Belt and parts of the Midwest. We'll be seeing plenty of that moving through as we head into the next seven days, but largely the rest of us should be staying mostly dry as we head throughout the rest of that next seven days. Across most of the south for sure, we'll be staying on the dry side, even though it's places that kind of does need that rain just a little bit. This is your drought monitor right here. Again, it is very dry across especially parts of Louisiana and they haven't seen much rain in a very long time. A lot of these places sitting in that exceptional, you can see that maximum category right there. That's that four out of five drought monitor. Luckily, some places across the central part of the country, especially towards Oklahoma and Arkansas, they've been seeing a little bit of that rainfall, and it has given them a little bit of that relief. Again, some parts of the central plains, though, haven't been seeing as much of that rain. They're starting to see places hitting that extreme to exceptional although it's the end of the growing season for most of us. And hey, that snow does not have to be a bad thing. Our friend Carol Bauer capturing the beauty of ice-covered trees at the Theodore Roosevelt National Park in North Dakota. Beautiful, beautiful with that sun filtering through there. We'll have more in your forecast coming up. Well, some good news
1: out of the sunshine state of Florida about the state's citrus crop. It's expected to be much bigger than last year. This season, USDA estimating Florida growers will pack million more 90-pound boxes of oranges compared to last season. Now, as we've reported, last year's crop was impacted by two hurricanes and a December freeze. And while experts say this year's citrus crop experienced some early drought conditions, rain eventually picked up, and so far, the state's citrus-growing regions have not had to deal with hurricanes. And it's expected quality will be good this year, with one company saying it's already noticed an improvement in quality over last season. We're following a developing story out of Western Iowa with a father and son dying on a farm. Now it happened in Hornick following a standoff, the Woodbury County Sheriff's Office saying Sunday night, they received a call from a man reporting his son was shooting at him. Agday affiliate KTIV sharing this video. Deputies responded to the scene and learned the suspect was still on the scene in a white pickup truck. They were able to make contact with him and they say he told them there would be no peaceful resolution and said he made threats toward law enforcement. Early in the morning, investigators say the suspect fired shots at them. Police returned fire striking him. Medical personnel attempted to save his life, but he was pronounced dead at the scene. He's been identified as 44 year old Walter Sulzberger. The father, 72 year old Todd Sulzberger was pronounced dead as well. The exact cause of Todd Sulzberger's death has not yet been released, but It is being called a homicide. Fresh export sales to Mexico helps to move soybean markets on Tuesday. We'll have details coming up next. And later, we'll meet some 4-Hers in Tennessee learning the art of beekeeping in hopes of preserving this vital link in the food system in the country. A popular farm podcaster is accused of falsifying documents causing an Iowa bank to suffer at least... $100,000 in losses and legal fees. The Federal Reserve, in documents, saying that from 2014 until he was fired in January of last year, Tanner Winterhoff was working at Vision Bank of Iowa as senior vice president in commercial banking. The Fed alleges while there he falsified certain documents, including a security agreement and a subordination agreement. CNN reports that Winterhoff forged the signature of Melissa Dyer, who is a loan officer at USDA's Farm Service Agency. And it says, according to a bankruptcy filing, the forged signature misspelled Dyer's name. Now, the Fed says Winterhoff has agreed to comply with its orders, which prohibit him from being part of any bank's leadership. Winterhoff signing the agreement with the Fed without admitting or denying the allegations. Now, Winterhoff currently runs his own podcast called Farm for Profit. Lean hog futures hold onto gains for a fifth straight day while corn and soybeans eke out some upward buying momentum following fresh export sales to Mexico. Michelle Rook has more in markets now.
4: Grains did been mixed on Tuesday, row crops higher, wheat lower. Kevin Dooling with KD Investors joining us. And let's talk about that wheat market, some new two-year lows in the Kansas City wheat. It was a tough down day on Tuesday. Kevin, was it all technical selling or was there a fundamental reason?
0: I think there's some trade rumors with it that Russia was was uh, com- contemplating removing their export duty altogether. I think that's part of it. You've still got kind of a log jam, of wheat backed up against the Russian ports, despite record low um, mm. farmer holdings or or you know upcountry holdings. So it's it's really a bizarre trying to figure out exactly what's going on in the Black Sea. They still got the the two hundred and seventy dollar floor price and. And yet our markets continue to move well below that. So it's it's a it's a tough market. And technically it looks weak. And so the hedge funds are got their massive short and they're protecting it. And mm-hmm. I'm not sure what's going to reverse it. So
4: winter wheat rating also came in well above a year ago at 47% good to excellent. Do you think that was a little bit of a psychological blow too?
0: I'm sure it was. Yeah. We're we're to start, start this year off much better. Last year was a pretty much a train wreck for that. For that region the whole way through with you know strong soft red uh, conditions but this year is is looking different with with uh much better hard red winter country
4: are we down at a price do you think on wheat where we are stimulating demand
0: we certainly are we're, you know we've had fantastic sales in the export report the last four weeks um i think to, to reach the pace we've got to be between 170 190,000 tons a week and we're running um, you know, I think our four, work, four week average is between four and four thirty thousand. So we're certainly well above that pace.
4: And corn and beans did end higher. Was that mostly corrected by, or was there something else going on?
0: You know, honestly, I think those markets are, are in a holding pattern until the South American weather shows its cards a little more. If the pattern we've, we've been seeing for the last two months continues, then those markets are, I think are going to, we're going to go higher by a lot, um, okay. if they don't. I mean, if the pattern changes, I think the market could fall off pretty briskly. So it's early, but it's, you know, those forecasts are concerning to me.
4: So, Thanks for joining us. Uh, that is Kevin Dooling with KD Investors, and we'll have more updates
3: coming up. For a free two-month sample of Kevin's market analysis, or if you have a question of any kind, call 541-980-4554 or email kdinvestors at gmail.com. Ag Day is brought to you by the Advanced Acre Rx program from Winfield United. To hear directly from farmers how Advanced Acre Rx helps you get the most out of your season, visit winfieldunited.com aarx.
6: Yeah, we're back talking more about that weather. Of course, things have been very cold across some parts of the upper parts of the Northeast. We're seeing this jet stream really digging in across parts of the rust belt. The Midwest been seeing some of those temperatures ending the growing season for a lot of us. Meanwhile, out toward the West, we're seeing this large. uh, We call it a Ridge right here. This is actually giving us some pretty warm weather across the Mojave and parts of California and even stretching into parts of maybe a little bit of Oregon. But as we get into our mid to late week, we're going to start seeing this turn a little bit more we call zonal. Basically all of it almost a straight jet stream across the entire nation, basically where it should be warm in the South, cooler on the top. But luckily nothing super extremely cold, might actually start seeing some temperatures reaching near to above average in places that have been very chilly. I'm talking about again out toward the Great Lakes, plenty of places have been seeing temperatures reaching below 20 degrees. Not so much as we head into our weekend, but we're eyeballing another system as we head into our Sunday and Monday. There it is right there at low pressure out toward the uh, the Pacific and it's going to be making its way, shaking things up a little bit, could provide us with some more winter weather as we're going to be getting into those first couple of days of November. Watching as we start seeing some of that disturbance moving in as we get into our next Tuesday, starting to see a little more of that shink no more zonal flow as we head into next week. So we'll be of course watching this pretty closely throughout the next several days, but this is your temperature outlook between November 5th through November 9th. You're seeing a lot of that colder air still filtering through. Again, parts of the Great Lakes are going to be at least below average, but nowhere near as cold as they were last week. Meanwhile, of course, seeing a lot of this very warm weather out toward the Mojave. And sadly enough, that same area that's very hot will also be staying dry. Places that don't really want to be dry, looking at you, Louisiana, still seeing a lot of those temperatures staying quite cool. Drought monitor still showing aggressive temperatures very down towards south. Asheville, North Carolina, you're seeing the chill. Temperature tonight, gonna be 22 degrees. Luckily, you got that full sun. Meanwhile, in Pueblo, a little bit cloudier out there, warmer than in North Dakota. North Carolina, still gonna be on the cooler side, can be, Oregon 53. Producers raise new questions about
1: potential pork trades with India. We have details next. And later, Tennessee 4-H'ers are buzzing about a new beekeeping project how it could help preserve an important link in the food chain in the country. The National Pork Producers Council is raising concerns that U.S. pork exports are still being hindered by India. That's despite India agreeing to permit U.S. pork imports nearly two years ago. According to NPPC, India introduced a new export certificate with additional declarations in late September 2022, which were not negotiated with U.S. regulatory authorities. As a result, pork exports to India have been nearly non existent since access was initially granted. At the time, the opening of India's market to U.S. pork was a significant development, with the U.S. pork industry considering the Indo Pacific region a top destination for exports. MPPC is urging the U.S. to continue working with the Indian government to resolve the issue. The plaintiffs in a federal case involving Massachusetts Question 3 law are asking a judge to rule in their favor by using a constitutional clause. The plaintiffs, which include companies in the pork industry, want the judge to consider the clause that limits state laws and regulations that may burden or discriminate against interstate commerce. The law bans the sale of pork from hogs born to sows housed in pens that don't comply with Massachusetts standards. Last month, 13 attorneys general filed a brief in support of a lawsuit against Massachusetts. Well, honey is great, bee stings not so much. Up next, we'll meet the Tennessee 4-Hers learning to deal with both possibilities today in the country. Honeybees are disappearing from our landscapes and farms and now beekeeping has perhaps never been more vital to our world. And as Charles Denny of the University of Tennessee tells us, a young 4-H'er in state is leading the way in saving the species.
2: After school, most teens hang out, maybe focused on their phones or playing video games. But 15-year-old Paige Costello spends her afternoon arm deep in honeybees. The 4-H'er first started working with bees with her dad at the age of three, and Paige now helps keep multiple hives on the family's place in Hollow Rock, Camp Costello Farms.
4: We obviously try to keep the hives healthy and intact. We check for varroa mites and put in strips, tests. We look and make sure the queen is healthy along with the workers, um, pretty much keep the hive safe.
2: Bees are disappearing around the globe, and if we lose pollinators, our food supply is under threat. Paige believes that by raising bees, her family is helping to save the species.
4: Well, it's important for beekeeping because Tennessee is a large agricultural land and you know all the farmers need pollinators, natural pollinating, honey.
2: Paige is a national award winner, honored for an essay she wrote called, Why is beeswax important? In the article, she shares her secrets for making homemade beeswax crayons. Bees wax is useful to humans and for the bees as well, and beekeepers provide the species the chance to build wax reserves.
4: The wax is the mold of the hive, the base of the hive, where the bees can store brood, which is baby bees, and grow into new bees. Uh, they can use it to store pollen and nectar, that which they can make bee bread or honey.
2: That's the product Camp Costello Farms makes delicious honey. Beekeeping is a relatively new focus for Tennessee 4-H, part of an emphasis on learning the science behind helping our environment.
4: Without bees, we wouldn't be able to feed our families and things like that, and so we need those pollinators and we need to understand that, and I think having young people understand that is very important for our community.
2: Meantime, Paige's community is buzzing all around her. Much more than a hobby, she's a valuable contributor on the family farm caring for a critical species, and protecting nature. This is Charles Denny reporting.
1: All right, thanks Charles, and that's all the time we have this morning. We're sure glad you guys tuned in. From all of us here at Act Day, I'm Clinton Griffiths. Have a great day.